Last week, um, we, we really started to get into the Easter season and what it looked like. And we started at this point where uh, Jesus was, was with his disciples for this last meal that they were going to have together. And uh, so it talks about some different things that took place in those times. Jesus calls out that one of his disciples is going to be the one that's going to turn him in. He also calls out another disciple saying that he's going to disown him. He's going to turn away from him at some point. And so he calls these disciples out. He goes on then to go pray up in the garden. We learned last week that Jesus died for literally everybody, even the untouchable in the church sometimes. Those people that as a church we, we usually just kind of turn our backs to, that, that Jesus died for them and we're called to be there for literally everybody. There wasn't somebody that Jesus didn't go to the cross for. And so we got to that point, talked about when Jesus was arrested and uh, the guards came to him and Peter pulls his sword out, cuts the guard's ear off, and, and Jesus heals him on the spot. And you would have thought at that point, like as a guard, you'd have been like, dude, I can hear again, like I'm good to go. But no, they still arrested him, still took him in, and the thing still took place. And so today's scripture starts in Luke chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to that. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay, because you can go to the app, and you can download the Share Faith app, and the very first thing that it's going to do is ask you, what church? And you type in the movement. And uh, right there, you can pull up a Bible. And uh, so uh, go team, right? Do you like that plug? Yeah. Ethan's the man. He's the one that set it all up and keeps it, keeps it updated. And so you can go do that. Um, and so Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to start today. And we're going to hang there for quite a bit of today's service. And so we jump in here in verse 54. Uh, then seizing him, they led Jesus away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, he had sat down together and Peter sat with them. So I'm going to start there. Like I, one of my favorite places to be is like in a low chair or sitting on a log at a bonfire just chatting. I can remember times with uh, Jeff, who's running the cameras today, sitting down for hours across from each other in a bonfire. And what I love about these campfires and these bonfires is that you don't always see the, perfect, the person perfectly, but you can kind of see across and, and you know who they are, you know who you're talking to, but it's just got this, this feeling to it. I don't know what it is about a campfire, a bonfire, but it's just it brings it out. And so this is the scene that we're at. Here, Peter comes in. He's in this courtyard. He's in the house of the high priest. And somebody kindles this bonfire, this, this campfire, so they can keep warm. It's dark out. They just brought Jesus in here from capturing him. And here Peter comes, and he sits down next to these people that just took him hostage, just, took him, just captured him, just imprisoned Jesus. And uh, so in verse 56, we read this that a servant girl saw, saw Peter seated there in the firelight. So just as I was just talking about, she looks over, she sees him sitting there through the firelight, and she looked closely at him. I think you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You look across that campfire, and you're, you're trying to figure out what that person's doing, but it's through the fire. So she really stares at him, and she says this, this man was with Jesus. She calls him out right there on the spot. This man was with Jesus. But Peter denied it, and he said, woman, I don't know him. And he simply said that. 
There's a comma there. He calmly said it, I guarantee it. I think he just said, woman, nah. Nah, I don't know him. And so he continued to sit there, stay warm a little bit. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. And immediately, Peter replies, man, I am not! Exclamation point. Exclamation point. There's a reason for that. Man, I am not! What are you talking about? Peter replied. And then about an hour later, another person asserted, certainly this, fo- uh, this fellow over here was with them, for he is Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Like an exclamation point. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. I was not with him. And Peter replied, and as soon as this happened, the rooster crowed. Now, it doesn't say after he was done talking. Scripture says just as he was speaking, just as he was saying this, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Boom, the rooster crows, and the Lord turns through the campfire and stares directly at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. And before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and Peter wept bitterly. Jesus called him out on this before this even took place. And Peter knew that it was coming. And even denies that it would even be able to happen. But yet, in this instance, it still took place. You see, I I always viewed this story in a completely different light. You see, I've taught this time and time and time again in youth ministries. Ethan's probably heard me preach it five or six times at this point in his life. Congratulations. And, uh, And I've always looked at it in a little bit different of a light, but I believe that in this season that, that God gave me something a little bit different. You see, we always view this story as a massive disappointment, a real guilt trip for believers. You sit back and you hear this, and it's like, oh, man, I disown Jesus all the time. Like, how many times do I turn around? That's, that's usually what the message is. How many times do you disown Jesus with your actions, with your words, with the way that you live, those type of things? And it's usually this big guilt trip of, of a thing that you look through, and, and I don't believe that there's anything wrong with it, but that's just kind of the way that you look at it. I mean, it's kind of a negative thing, right? Peter, this close, this close guy to Jesus, I mean, he, fo- he followed along with Jesus getting taken hostage. He followed him. You know what he just did in the court over here on the, on the mount, and yet he follows behind them, shows up in the same place they just took Jesus. He's got some guts. He's doing what he, what he thinks he needs to do. And then we get this reality as we read through this that even the closest to Jesus disowned him at, time, at some times. Scripture paints this picture of Jesus turning to Peter with the stare. And for me, I've always read it as this disappointment of a stare. I said this in first service, and everybody agreed with me. But you know that stare that you would get as a kid every once in a while? You know what I'm talking about? Where you would do something, and parents would turn to give you that look. I told them earlier today, I did that to Owen, didn't even realize it. I didn't even realize that I gave him that stare, but Owen, we're in the middle, listen to this, we're in the middle of the last song, and I look down at Owen, and he turns the microphone on that my wife had over there, and tried to talk in it, and luckily, like, I caught him right before it, but, like, I gave him that stare, like, Owen, but it's that stare that you get from time to time. 
You know, that one that you can get from across the aisle at a grocery store. You know that you need to put those cookies down. You're not, they're not going for that. Or, or that stare that you get from time to time when you're doing something really stupid. But I think sometimes we look at those as, as this disappointment stare. But when I looked back and, and thought about these stares that I'd get from my parents from time to time, I don't believe that they were always disappointment stares. I believe that it was stares of, of I know that there's, there's something bigger there for you. I believe that there's more potential in the way that you're acting right now kind of stares, right? And so, so hang with me here. What if the stare was something completely different? What if that stare from Jesus wasn't this disappointment stare of, of hey, you just disowned me three times? What if it was an I forgive you stare? What if that was like, Peter, I know you're going to hurt right now. I know this is going to be very damaging to you. I know that this is not going to be a fun time for you, and I forgive you. But many time and time and time again when you hear this scripture talked about and processed, it's usually this disappointed stare of Jesus looking back and disappointed that Peter would disown him three different times. You know, I believe that, that it was this forgive you stare, this stare that you needed to have this lesson so you would become a fierce apostle of mine. And I believe that that was the stare that Peter got. I believe that sometimes in our greatest disappointments, God sees the potential that lies within. And he saw the potential that lied within Peter. It wasn't just what Peter was doing at that point. He knew that Peter had to get to a point to move on to his next point. We talked this past week a little bit in our men's group of, of this idea and this concept of, of climbing the mountain versus coming down the valley. And the scariest place to be can sometimes be that plateau that you can find yourself on, right? And so when, you, when you're falling in faith, when you're falling in life, when things are happening, you know that it's happening because it's very obvious to you. And sometimes whenever things are going really good, it's very obvious that things are good. Things are just clicking. Things are happening. But the scary part is when you get to these places where you just kind of plateau. This can be in your work. This can be in your spiritual life, wherever it is. This is a scary place to be, but it can also be a very fun place to be. And let me tell you why. I've always said that this is the worst place to be. But this week, talking to a group of guys, we realized that sometimes this can be a holding space. Sometimes God isn't ready to move you to this next level yet, and so he's preparing you right here on this plane. Sometimes he's giving you just a little bit. What if this right here is where Peter was living? What if he just got content with the way that Jesus was doing ministry and the things that were going on and the things that he was doing and it was just kind of this life? But then all of a sudden he realized that God was getting ready to call him to something so much greater. Because listen to this. When, when Peter saw disappointment, he went out and he wept uncontrollably. He couldn't, he couldn't avoid it. He left the courtyard, went outside, wept uncontrollably. But when, when Peter saw disappointment, Jesus saw that Peter was going to be the first one to preach on the day of Pentecost after the coming of the Holy Spirit. He was the first one to proclaim that Christ was Lord to a Gentile. He was one of the boldest apostles of all. Peter was willingly, and he suffered persecution, imprisonment, beatings, and even rejoiced at the fact, listen to this, even rejoiced at the fact that he was worthy to suffer disgrace for the Lord's sake. 
in this time that he saw disappointment, God saw potential. He saw what Peter had in, in his vision. He saw what Peter had in his call and knew that there was something so much bigger. When, when you would get that look in the supermarket, when you get that look at church that you need to quit acting the way that you're acting, it's because there's potential for you to be who you need to be. I had, and I call this a privilege because I think it was one of my favorite times playing baseball my entire life. I played baseball with my brother, Dan, and, uh, and he was a pitcher, and I was a catcher, and it was, I think it was literally one of the coolest things that, that I did in sports. And uh, the senior year, we had a great team. We had a great time. Everybody meshed well together um, and uh, had a great time. But I can remember a time, Dan was one of those that you could call in and you knew that it was going to be good. All right, you would bring him in when the game was on the line and you needed somebody, or you could start him off and you know you could get a good four or five innings out of him. But I can remember one game in particular where it just he just struggled. He couldn't find the plate. He hit a couple guys and just things were not going the way that that any of us had hoped it would go. And so we got home and and we went out and we we caught balls together. He threw balls and practiced and worked towards it. And what what he saw as a disappointment of a game, there was potential to be had there. Because as he grew and as he was looking at, okay, how do I throw this ball better? How do I do this better? All of a sudden, that potential started to arise. And by the time the season was over, he was, he was probably one of the most dangerous pitchers in the league at that point. And that was what was, that's what was so exciting about that, because I feel like sometimes we just wear that disappointment. And it would have been so easy for Peter just to wear that, to leave and be done with things. Like, I disappointed my, my Savior. Here he is in his most vulnerable time, and I disappointed him. I'm done. But he didn't. He took that, and he built from it. God sees and knows the potential that lies within, and he knows what is getting ready to be released. I promise you that. Even in those moments where it's hard to see that, God knows what is getting ready to be released. Because Peter was, went from this arrogant this cocky man of thunders, and he became this humble, willing, obedient servant of the Lord, even to his death. He was obedient in what it was that the Lord was calling him to. Sometimes we need to break ourselves down to be built into what we are called to be. I can remember going into the soccer season at Butler, and, and we go out, and, and it was conditioning time, and you would run, and you would run, and you would run, and you would run, even past the time that you even wanted to run. You get to the point that you didn't want to show up again. But the whole point was to break you down so that you would be ready to run and make it through the entire season without an issue. My dad was coaching at that point, and one of the things that he always wanted to do was that we would run circles around the other team. That was his goal. We, could, we may not be as good as you, but we're going to run circles around you, and we're going to beat you because of the fact that we have that stamina. We have that. We've been broken down to be who we are now. And so that happens a lot. And so growing up in church, one of my favorite times to go to church was around this time of Easter. And uh, we would go to church, and I, I can't remember if it was Good Friday. It might have been Palm Sunday. It might have just been a random day in the week. I don't know. But we would go to church, and uh, they would do the scripture reading of the entire story of Easter from beginning to end. And it was an impactful time for me because this is when I really started to, to grip a hold of what was taking place in Scripture. And so I'm going to read to you uh, Scripture. I, I, was, I was talking to Ethan about it. I was like, man, like, 
I just believe that there's just power in reading the scripture because of what it is and how it goes. And so if you would follow along with me, we're in Luke 22. We're going to start off in verse 63, all right? Um, this, this is the point that we've, we just took ourselves up to, and Peter just went outside. He wept bitterly. And while Jesus is sitting there in the garden, there's a, you got to remember this, there's a campfire. It's right there behind him. And these, these, the men that were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. That's in verse 63. 64, they blindfolded Jesus and demanded, prophesy, who hit you, Lord? And they said many other insulting things to you. They hit him, they spit on him, they did all these different things. Then at daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, are you then the Son of God? Jesus replies, you say that I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. We move into chapter 23. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man, and, and he has been destroying our nation. He opposes payments of taxes to Caesar and claims to be the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, listen, Pilate, real quick, he was like the judge. He's like the Supreme Court. He had the final say. So they're bringing him to Pilate. He's going he's gonna to say what he needs to say. So they bring, they bring Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate says this to Jesus, Are you the king of Jews? And Jesus says, you have said so. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest and to the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But, he, but they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has moved all the way over here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was Galilean. Pilate's trying to push this off. Is the man Galilean? When he heard, when he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. Herod, listen, we've known this reading through passage in Scripture and Scripture and Scripture. Herod wants to see Jesus in the biggest of ways. And Pilate's saying, look, he's not my issue. I see nothing wrong with this man. I'm going to send him over to Herod. Herod should deal with this. So he just pushes it off to Herod. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see Jesus. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied with him many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, and they were accusing Jesus. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressed him in elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. That day, listen to this, that day Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate thought it was hilarious that Herod dressed him up as a king, mocked him, sent him back, and, and now he's sitting here again in front of Pilate. And Pilate's like, thank you, Herod, because you did what I needed to happen. This man did not deserve death. That's what everybody's asking for. And so therefore, you punished him by public humiliation. Congratulations. Thank you very much. You did my job. But in verse 13, Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to a rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. 
as you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But listen, this is the part when I started to really grab a hold of, of, of the magnitude behind this, right? And so, so in the church, we would do this. I don't have it up here, so I'm not going to have you do this. But as a church, we would respond to this. And that was, that's hard to do sometimes as a church because, because of what you're responding to. But the whole crowd, listen to this in verse 18, but the whole crowd shouted, away with this man. The crowd shouts this, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was this nasty guy. He was a murderer. He beheaded people. He was a nasty person to society. And they said, give us back Barabbas. We would rather have him than have Jesus. In verse 20, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, listen to this, they kept shouting, the people kept shouting, we kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, Pilate spoke to them, why, what has this man committed? What, what has this man done? I have found him in no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished, and then I will release him. Pilate is, is pleading with his people, like, this is what's going to happen, and I will release him. But the crowd got louder, and they shouted, and they instantly demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed, so Pilate decided to grant their demands. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and they surrendered Jesus at their will. Again, this was one of these scriptures that I looked at for years of disappointment. And I would say that those words, crucify him, crucify him, is what put him on the cross. And so therefore, because of our words, because of their words, that is how Jesus ended up on the cross. But, but that thinking was so wrong in so many different levels because Jesus was already going to die for us. It had nothing to do with them shouting, crucify him, crucifying. We put him there because of our sins, because of our actions, because of the things we do. Jesus had to die for us. And so I'm telling you this right now. I don't think that it was those words, crucify him, that put him there. And so many times because of those words, we put all this guilt and disappointment time and time again on ourselves. But again, go back to what I said. When, when we see disappointment, he sees potential. But what if we look at this for what it is? In John 3.16, one of the most famous passages, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, gave it, gave him up for death. John 3.16. That's not a scripture that was read after his death. This is a scripture that is in, in there well before his death. He came for this purpose. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew what he was dying for. He knew what was going to happen. And yet at the same time, this is what put him there. Yeah, we are a huge part of that, of why he died. But I think that what's so important about this is that Christ was going to die. And yes, we're the reason, but it happening with or without our cries of crucifixion. The Old Testament was this religion of nothing but a circle of disappointment. Really, if you go back and you look at how the Old Testament used to look and what things would take place, it was this big, huge circle of disappointment. You would mess up, and then you would have to create a 
you know, some sacrifice or something else, and you would hope that you've been forgiven, but there really wasn't this concept of forgiveness. It was just this whole concept of rule after rule after rule that you would have to follow, and I could not imagine having to live my life in a way that you have to follow over 600 laws, and in the instance that you drop one of those laws, you are a complete failure and disappointment. And that was kind of this whole circle of disappointment in law when it came to Old Testament rule. There was no way to escape it, and no matter what you did, you literally could not get out of this circle of disappointment. But Christ came for the sole purpose to free us from that circle. And I think that that is just so incredible that, that this is the purpose and this is the reason behind why he died. It wasn't crucify him, crucify him. It was to free us from the circle of disappointment, to free us from this religion, to show us grace, to show us that, that there is so much more out there that we have potential to do. Even after we, we do things like betray or disown Jesus, we are still able to be free and do the things that he has called us to do, that we have that potential. Jesus knows your strengths. He knows your potential. And when he looks back at you in the midst of weakness, he sees through the disappointment to see the potential that he has placed within you. Even in the times that you think that things are just going bad, that you're not living the life that, that is there, Jesus sees the potential. And so I want to challenge us as a church to see that potential. Don't look at yourself and say, man, I've never fully given my heart to Christ and, and I'm just a big disappointment. No, no, no. See the potential that is there when you surrender your life to Christ. You might say, I surrendered my life to Christ, but I still continue to live my life in a way that is less pleasing to God. Don't look at that as a disappointment. Look at that as potential. There's more potential there for you to continue to grow and to mature. You can't expect somebody to accept Christ and the next day be perfect. There, there's, a, there's a reason behind that. There's a system to that, and it takes time. You have to see the potential. Even when you're at a place where you feel like you're at spiritual peak, there's potential for even more growth. You continually grow. You continue to mature. You continue to, to do what it is that God has called us to do. So I ask you, church, are you ready to embrace what it is that God has for you in your next steps? regardless of where you're at. Maybe you're in that valley. Maybe you're, you're in this downhill slide right now and, uh, and you're trying to get yourself going back up again. Or, or maybe you're in the mountaintops and you're, you're just succeeding at literally everything you do. Or what if you're on that plateau right now and you're getting ready for what the next step is for you and, and what it is that it looks like for you because God has something for you. And maybe that disappointment's getting ready to set in for just a moment. But that disappointment's getting ready to turn into some really good potential. That disappointment's going to turn you into an apostle that's going to go out and share the gospel of Christ with everybody, that's going to share your love that you have learned, and you're going to take that and share that with everybody, regardless of what their life looks like, because that is what we are called to do. When we sing this song, Living Hope, it's all about that. There is hope in Jesus. There is hope in what it is that is going on in our lives. And so we challenge ourselves as a church every week to take our step and to take our walk in a deeper way. And so that's my challenge to us as a church right now, is that how it is that we can go as a community of believers or alone but together to be able to take that next step so that God can take that potential and grow us into monstrous things.